Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Generic Video Game Quarterly Podcast. Molly and I are back as we have our smiles upside down, as it's supposed to be the happiest time of year in celebrating the holidays. Yet that, coinciding with the 2019 VGAs, has made things more miserable than usual. So sit back, crack open your favorite beverage, or pour some hard liquor, perk up your ears, and search for your Christmas night's disc as we gear up for episode 39 of the podcast. How have things been going on your end, Molly? You know, it's, it's funny. And、uh, first of all, I'm, as I told Anthony before the show, I'm coming off of sickness. So、uh, if I sound weird, that's why. <laughs> And if I cough, that's why I'm coughing.、Um, <laughs> but no, it's funny because, you know, working at EGM,、uh, which stands for Electronic Game Monthly, we, we ran into a bit of a, of a、uh, you know, like the, how I can't remember, come to Jesus moment or whatever you call it, where, you know, when the magazine went like bi monthly and then kind of quarterly, we're like, well, we're not really electronic gaming monthly so much anymore. And then when the magazine went away, And we were just a website、uh, that got really weird because、um, there, there's other EGMs out there. And so it was always just kind of weird to me to only be EGM, but you couldn't do electronic game monthly because we weren't monthly anymore. And、um, it's not official, but when we relaunched the site, we decided that EGM could mean enjoy games more.、Um, Oh, wow. But it was just a funny little thing, just like, you know, that, that I think a lot of people just wouldn't care. I know our owner didn't, didn't give a crap about it. But,、um, there, but there were discussions about, like, what would EGM stand for now? And there was an idea of, like,、uh, like electronics, games, media, something like that, or electronics, games, and movies, you know.、Um, but so there were, there were some of us internally that actually were bothered by the fact that EGM. Didn't really mean what it used to mean anymore.、Mm. I, you know, obviously,、uh, we kind of do some of this stuff on the fly without concrete plans. Didn't know we were going to start here. But with that said, is there any staff of the current iteration of EGM that are so young that they don't recall or remember the original version of EGM? Oh, yeah. I mean,、um, I, you know, it's funny because.、Uh, Our staff's pretty small now, and we've kind of gone through a few iterations just since <laughs> the relaunch. <laughs> Excuse me.、Um, but there's a guy I work with who is 30 something. And when he started, it was really interesting because he was a hardcore EGM fan. But、mm. his EGM fandom. Was the one up era. You、uh, know, all the people that were there during that era of,、mm. of EGM. And it's funny to me, you know, and you as well, you know, I know we came up during the original EGM era. Right. I, I, I still remember、um, there's a little gas station like a block from my house. And I still remember the night that I ran over that gas station and they had a copy of the EGM. With、uh, Ghouls and Ghosts on Genesis on the cover. <laughs> it's a really weird cover. It's like the part where, like, if you charge up the gold armor, 
then uh, one of the weapons that shoots kind of like the lightning out, mm-hmm. and when it shoots lightning out, like Arthur turns to like silhouette. Like that was that was the screenshot they used for the cover, or I don't know if he was actually silhouette on the cover or not, but that was the cover. And um, yeah, it was it was really weird, but uh, I still remember you know going to the store to get that issue and like kind of those other early issues. So for him, EGM meant you know, the later era, the Ziff Davis era, the one-up era, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> not to deep, deep dive into it, but, you know, my memories of that are when I was still a kid in New York, going to software, et cetera, picking it up, that probably Game Pro, I think video games and computer entertainment, something along those lines. But aside from those early EGM years, and I think we may have discussed this before, I'd say one of the other things that sticks out for me were, ironically, it is the holiday time of year when the holiday issues would come out and they'd be like almost like a miniature, like, you know, a smaller size phone book. Yeah, like 400 and some pages. I mean, that was so exciting at the time. And unfortunately, I don't have any of those uh, in my possession, but I would assume if I look back, you know, almost 50% of that would be advertisements, which... Funny enough, it would be kind of cool to look back at that as well now. At the time, I probably hated all of the ads, but yeah, I mean, they were, that was something else, uh, 250, 350 pages uh, to get that. It was exciting. It's it's funny that, and, and I was actually just flipping through one of those issues the other day. I can't remember. It was, it was the era, too, when, you probably remember this when like it felt like every issue either had street fighter 2 or mortal Kombat on oh, the cover yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um it's funny that like back in that era you'd like complain about you know the amount of ads but as somebody who now works for magazines and knows how things go like it's crazy how much money they had to be pulling in every single issue on those and on, on, on those at those times I mean, I would love to have, uh, or to be in a position where we could have, like, that many ads. <laughs> Until you just said that, like, as the words were coming out of your mouth, I had never thought of that. Well, because also, too, um, and what some people don't know, and I don't know if this was the case back then or not, but, like, I know for us, I think, I think a bank is 16 pages. I don't know if you can go as low as eight or not, but basically... You know, if you decide you want more content in your issue, obviously because of the way paper works and the way magazines work, one actual sheet of paper has four pages on it, right? Because you fold that page in half. Oh, yeah. Uh, cor- uh, yeah, because... That becomes a magazine, right. The, yeah. You know, you might think, okay, well, we just need a few more pages, so just add one extra sheet to the issue. But you can't do that. So what you had to, what you have to do, at least for us, is if we decide we need a bigger issue... We have to add them in banks, and so I, I think, I think our banks are either eight or sixteen, meaning that you have to add at least eight more pages or sixteen more pages to the issue, if you want to have more pages. Um, but and so in order to do that, is you have to have enough ads to offset that to make adding that worthwhile. You would never, at least in this era, or even you know like. 10 years ago, you would never add that many more pages just for content. You would add that many more pages because you had enough ads that you needed more space, and then you could decide what more content you would put in there. 
So like like page counts were when they went beyond the norm, they were always dictated by ad count. So like those issues were like it was four hundred and twenty pages. Right. They probably had and as and we we still see this even with print being as small as it compared to what it used to be, is we still see this where our issues running up to Christmas and the holidays and stuff. Like we'll have way more ads than we will in the first half of the year. Like we're working on our, our issue for for the Walmart Game Center issue for beginning of next year and the ad count is totally different than it is for the previous issue we just did. So um to back in that era to have like four hundred and some pages, like their ad count was insane. And and it had to be driven by it's getting near Christmas. We 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 have like two hundred potential ads to put in this issue. Let's make the issue super big and then figure out what to put in it content wise. Okay, so you kind of answered one of my questions just to refresh in that during that time of year, it's safe to say they kind of structured the magazine in a sense around the ads, not the reverse. So like if you knew X amount of ads were coming in, you kind of structured then the content that would, you know, we need this amount of content. And you got to figure with the money coming in at that time, they probably were like, you know, bring it on and we're going to find a way to fill these pages. I mean, I mean, you're, you're talking about, and I don't know, but I mean... My guess is in the heyday, like a a one page ad or a spread, um, and this is just a total guess based on what I know in this era and what I'm assuming might have been when rates were higher. You could have been looking at like twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Wow, it, uh, per page? Yeah, per page. So, 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 so if so, if you think about that, right, and and if you've got like. A hundred, a hundred, you know, potential ads going in your issue. It's it's worth it at that point to pay the extra money to have more pages because that's going to be a huge difference money wise. So, if is it fair to say? Would you say approximately about a hundred fifty of those pages were ads back in the day, like ninety two, ninety three? I would 94? say. I would say. I. I mean, I could go back and look uh, before our next episode to find out, but I would. I would say that um, at least half. Like, at least half of it had to have been ads. Let's lowball it. Let's say 130 pages, which I know is low. Right. At 15 grand. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm lowballing it, Molly. Right. Just shy of $2 million an issue? Are you kidding me? Now, now, you know, the thing to think about is that, like, they would obviously have printing costs... Sure. Um, they'd have costs for this dis- dis- distributor. They have staff costs. You know, staffs were way bigger back then. But yeah, I mean, you can see why, you know, those kind of issues existed because if you're looking at a potential two million, three million coming in just from one issue, like that's that's cash money, baby. You know, <laughs> that's like absolutely <laughs> worth it. You know, so. I'm gonna. Get, I love getting into numbers and money, but because I don't have any, and. You know, I worked for a uh, a real estate office for about a decade and a half, and I used to do a lot of the numbers and whatnot. And I'm trying to think of gross revenue, you know, in a month. You know, this doesn't take into contract splits, to, you know, taxes, all that. I'm just talking straight up just for numbers. 
if they were cracking two million a month, and I was at a real estate office, I knew those numbers. And I, you know, there's other real estate offices out there with much bigger teams and what I dealt with, but you know, this wasn't like a super small place. God, that's I mean, I think in a month, you know, if we had a really good month, we'd gross three to five hundred K in commissions, but that's before splitting it up with the independent contractor, the house and taxes. So so two million but even even if you told me twelve issues in a year Eight of them, let's say you were scraping by, uh, which, you know, in those days it was different. It, you know, it was right. better than that. Right. If you told me four issues between, let's like, September, October, November, December, and you cracked between 1.5 to 2.5 million a month gross, that's what? You're in the $10 million range, even if you made peanuts? I mean, that if if you were good with money... Easier said than done, and you know, and you paid accordingly, stayed on top of your bills, and budgeted it right. That is some good money. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the cases where, like, you know, depending on how your staff was and everything, like, you could imagine that one good issue could pay your entire year of like wages. Wow! Wow! You know, it's kind of like retail. That's you know, I mean, there there are retailers out there where. Like, and I know because my wife used to work for a, a, you know, a store in the mall and, and her store was kind of the same way. It's like, I mean, mm-hmm. they made okay money throughout the year, but like what they made during the three month period leading up to the holidays, you know, defined the entire year of that business. Yeah. Yeah. But that's and, amazing. And just for, just for footnote, um, like these days, I know with us, like we always have a totally set page count so every issue is going to be the exact same size and then we just adjust according to ad count so if we have an issue where ads are really low then we'll just do more features and more previews and things like That's... that if we have issues like we've had we've had times where i would say we had to cut a third of the content that we planned because of ad counts going so high mm. Because we don't said we don't adjust the the size of the magazine compared to the ad cat. So, you know, if if we've got fifty two pages and all of a sudden we've got like twenty five ads, you know, then some of our planning just goes away. You know, or 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 we'll do things where you know we have what we we, we purposely have sections where a, a piece of content can be one page or it can be two pages. You know, so stuff like that can be very flexible. If if we have less ads, we can make some of that stuff two pages to kind of fill out the page count if we need to. Um, if we got a lot more ads, then that section can be somewhere where we can put in, you know, more ads to counterbalance things. So so you end up kind of fight, figuring out ways to like, okay, we're going to write this preview in a way that it can be two pages, but it could also be three. But at absolute worst, it could be one, you know. So So you find little tricks like that. It's interesting you bring that up because as you, I still subscribe to Retro Gamer out of the UK. I pick up Edge every now and then. And from what I can tell for the most part, especially and particularly with Retro Gamer, that page count is consistent. I think it's around 116 pages, something like that. It's like 96 or 116. Take your pick. And I do notice Game Informer because uh, being a power-up member, uh, don't know why I had to make note of that on the show. Um Game Informer, I think, clocks in at like 96 or whatever pages a month. So my question to you is, 
What's the reasoning behind the same page count each month? Is that for a combination of consistency, paying out in advance, budgeting? Why is that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the things you mentioned. Um, because in the, <coughs> the reality is, excuse me, is in this era, um, just, you know, magazines aren't what they used to be. So there's there's not the case of oh my god we have to double the size of our issue to get all this coverage mm. in there you know like that's not going to matter at the end of the day um you know what you just do is if something really big then you just put it in there and just take out something else that was smaller you know uh, uh so yeah it's it's consistency it's like it's like having a set budget for the issue um and just easier for the printers that the way they always know like how big the the magazine's going to be and there's no like changes and stuff like that may i ask you one more question on this topic yeah. before we get off it okay i'm going to throw you a curveball different one here okay when you go to the store and some of these type of magazines still exist if you still have a barnes and noble in your area you can still catch this in a grocery store what about those crazy fashion magazines like maybe like Vogue or some of the or sometimes some of the international European magazines like they're huge oversized glossy tons of ads w- what about the deal on those um I can't I, I can't you mean like price wise or I guess like uh, just like some of those magazines are huge like Yeah, I mean stuff like that is is just, you know, those things I mean if you really look at them like there's certain magazines you can tell that exist to sell ads and then they they just figure out content otherwise you know mm-hmm. someone like us like we we put actual effort into the content we put in and we might not always know you know are we gonna are we gonna have the space to do everything we want to do or most of what we want to do you know like the fashion magazines and stuff like that if you really look at them like they are hardcore driven around the ads and Something that you kind of notice, um, and I don't mean to just rag on like women's magazines here, but like if you look at some of that kind of stuff, like over time, even if you just like pay a small amount of attention to them, you'll see the same kind of articles come back again and again and again and again and again. Right. You know, like five ways to please your boyfriend in bed, you know, <laughs> and like stuff like that, right? But it's, it's the same it's thing. Been, that, like, but it's been for decades. Right. And there's some of that stuff that like, that they probably just have a whole slew of like ideas of stuff they can put in there because mm-hmm. it's not like games, right? It's not like, oh my god, L'Oreal is going to debut this 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 mysterious <laughs> new trailer for you know a, a product line that they're doing. Like, I mean, there are new products and stuff, but it's nowhere near, you know, like the kind of experience of like you're not going to have like you know lipstick screenshots, you know, or anything like that. So there's only right. so much you can do with that stuff. So those magazines, if you look at them are really more based on selling ads and then just finding content that you can kind of slot into the holes between the ads. Mm. So I said, if you look at magazines, you can really tell the ones that um, are content-based or content-driven versus ad-driven. Interesting. I find that stuff interesting. Fascinating. I wish I knew it 20 years ago, but... uh well, with that, I with wish, that I, wish be, we, I wish we had some of that makeup money, man. That makeup money has to be good. Probably not as good as it used to be, but it still has if, to be good. If you're not sick of this, you, do you know who I feel is one of the few pop culture icons who still, who currently has clout to move a magazine or just because of her range on social media, she has so much 
so many followers and whatnot. Like there's a couple magazines I saw in the last six months that she made the cover of. And I saw it all over my social media. And I did see it, you know, around town. Uh, Taylor Swift. Ah. Uh, whether whether it is from the perspective of getting her mug on, you know, a, a physical print magazine and getting the word out there. Or cutting the right music-related deal for a streaming service. I got to tell you, she has been on the money. And I think unlike a lot of uh, other pop stars over the years uh, and not the jinxer you know she's kept her nose clean and hasn't you know spiraled out of control gone down the drug route drunk you know shaved her head or anything like that and yeah i don't know whoever her to whoever her business team is with her they've been uh hitting it out of the park and the reason i mention that is because um you know, there's there's so many cha- like so many musicians and so many people that complain about how things are set up these days and how the concerts and merchandise aren't make the money and not the services and you know print media is is flailing. But anyway, I had to throw that out there. So, well, we'll have to pull an Insight magazine and uh, get on our front cover <laughs> for a future <laughs> issue. Yeah. Yeah. See what the crossover there is. <laughs> Oh, that's an well, inside joke for all the uh, old school video game magazine <laughs> fans that listen to this podcast. So all three of you out there, you, you got that joke. Well, I don't know what's uh, I guess what's been going on. It's been another quarter year. I know our goal is not to uh, truly be a quarterly podcast. To, to be fair, to be fair, though, this time it actually is kind of Anthony's fault that it, it, we hadn't recorded for a while. It you know, it is cr- for the one I don't time know I can if you say have that telepathy, but I was just about to throw myself under the bus, and you beat me to it by about ten seconds. So yeah, this time it is on me, uh, and I'll be honest, I'll shoot it straight because I, I don't know who's listening. I don't know how many people we got listening right now, but uh, it does fall on me. Uh, I have been around. I haven't been sick. I haven't been anything like that. Uh, I had a, a career or job change. So, uh, still in the same area, still on the, in weird Portland. And, uh, I just want to give a special, uh, service announcement. People, please stop moving here. I was going to say, like, you guys hate people coming to your town, don't you? Please stop. Please, for the love of God, stop coming here. Driving prices up. Yes, we have Nike. Yes, we have a new Adidas uh, campus. Yes, we have Intel. Uh, please don't come here because with the tax breaks they get, no money coming back in. They're saying they're providing jobs and, and, and th- there's no place in the, the immediate towns around me. There's no work. Please stay home and don't listen to Portlandia. Get out. I, you know, it's it's funny, and maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but to me it feels like just there was just some point in the last 10 years, maybe less, where something just happened. Because, like, you, you know, you always had, like, New York was an expensive place, Chicago mm-hmm. was an expensive place, mm-hmm. Los Angeles was an expensive place, you know. But it just feels like something in the last 10 years happened where all of a sudden all these other cities that used to be totally manageable just suddenly have gone crazy in terms of like like housing prices it's horrible and 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 for the record uh no i i can't afford it i still can't afford it because as we all know 
prices are going up. Everything's going up, but your wage. So that's why I left thin. Los Angeles. Yeah, there's uh, there's a a uh, and this is nothing to laugh or joke about. There's a bit of a homeless crisis in Portland area, and uh, you know that's certainly no laughing matter. But yeah, because because people are getting pushed out, especially from two or three years ago, when there was the uh, there was a big to do in terms of rents skyrocketing due to the state of the housing market and um you know property management taking advantage of the situation and yes i was a victim of that to an extent in terms of two three years ago what they had raised my rent uh in one year it was north of a 200 dollar raise per month which is just out of this world, out of control. There were other people I know in the area that were getting raised three hundred plus dollars a month. A new a new law had to be enforced. Where now, if your rent gets raised more than three percentage points in a year, instead of the normal thirty day notice uh, that you're supposed to get, it now has to be ninety days, and they're supposed to be putting a cap on that. Now here's the, and I don't know why we're getting into uh, politics and money right now, but you know I think it's something that's good to hear. The problem is, is okay, good. They've enforced, they've implemented new rules and new laws. But here, here's the problem for at least right now. The damage is done. Like, my rent still went up 200 some odd. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, if they would have done this this year and they had to retract that and, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. And then, uh, yeah, if you really want to get sick, you know, you can catch the, the, you get on social media and look at the uh, influencers and the people flaunting and doing vacations, living their best life. But uh, anyway, so that aside, please, uh, unless you uh, unless you give me a, a private call and you go through my screening and I allow you to move here, like, for example, Molly is allowed to move to Portland. Uh, everyone else, unless you get clearance, please do not come here. So... Portland was uh, a place I, w- I wanted to actually check out like back when i thought about moving something more interesting but yeah i'm i'm looking for cheaper now so (laughs) i'll take cheaper over interesting man but uh well i don't know you want to start i guess on a a fun note here instead of all our complaining we'll just get this out of the way i think last time we talked it was the dreamcast 20th anniversary we've all we've already exhausted ourselves discussing that um Although I can I can always uh, talk Sega, but uh, another little console just turned twenty five. Another brand we all know and love, and that is the Sony PlayStation. Turned twenty five a little over a week ago. It was it was it's funny because as much of a Sega fan as I was, um, I, I think like that initial the run up to the original PlayStation was crazy. And speaking of magazines, right, think about, like, all the kind of articles that came out about the PlayStation, and it was just, just you know, because, I mean, it was Sony's, like, introduction to video games. I mean, consoles, right? Like, which is crazy to think about now, but there was all these stories about how they were going to make this developer-friendly console, and they were taking a totally different route with it and everything. And then meanwhile we heard all these stories about how hard the Saturn was going to be to program for and how 
last minute maybe Sega threw in a second chip because they were scared of the PlayStation and all this kind of stuff, and there was just kind of this real feeling of doom and gloom over the Saturn. Um, and so, as big of a Sega fan as I was, I actually got the PS4, PS4, the PS1, the PlayStation, <laughs> or, or PSX as, as we used yeah. to call it. Yeah. Um, you know, got that launch day, and I saved up like $600, and I got the system, I got Toshinden, Ridge Racer, and then I got two of those, I think, were they the ASCII joysticks? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so I, I actually went all in on on PlayStation and was was PlayStation only for about a year or so until that really crazy Sega sale, uh, sale oh, Sega had on that. the Saturn. Yeah, it was, but it was funny because it came right before they did a big price drop on the system because the, the mm-hmm. system was also hundred dollars more than the PlayStation was. Yeah, uh, but they they gave you a couple like free games with the system, and they knocked I think a little bit off the, the price. And then, of course, as soon as I bought that, then they lowered it by a hundred dollars. And <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, the PlayStation was like a really really crazy launch with like how hyped it was. Yeah, my memories, uh, so here's the deal. I was not a day one buyer of PlayStation. I did get it December of 95, so in hindsight, it really was only about a three-month wait. Um, When the PlayStation was very, very first announced and shown in magazines, and and look, my my memory could be playing a little bit of tricks. It's been 25 years, how I remember it now. Um. I don't want to sound ignorant, but you know, it it, it seemed very Japanese. Like, uh, like I know. Look, there's Nintendo, there's Sega. They were brands we'd already known and and had been involved with for over a decade. But like, I just thought the whole look of it was. I didn't think it was bad, but I was like, I don't know. There were so many question marks. Um, you know, the controller upon first glance, you could see the influence of the Super Nintendo controller. But then it was like, wow, they've added. Another two pair of buttons up top. Um, I, the D-pad was uh, interesting and or, you know, what's going on here? It was all, you know, fragmented. And at the very, very, you know, start of it, I, I wasn't really a believer because, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, aside from electronics themselves... In the gaming world, I only knew Sony really through some of their publishing efforts and some of their games on Sega CD, which... Sony ImageSoft. Is that... Yeah. So you have to keep in mind, if you are hardcore and into all this, you know, sometimes, um, you know, with a more educated mind or business mindset, or if you really know what's going on internally, or if you had the privilege of working at a magazine or getting access to stuff, seeing stuff at trade shows, if someone had more of an education on how like gaming architecture works or maybe budgeting, you may have had a different vantage point at the time. But for me as just an outsider, a fan picking up a couple magazines each month and being into games, I I didn't think I didn't think PlayStation would last. I would wow. change no no I'm, i mean i'm being honest um but you know keep in mind what i've said uh you know like i just said how long did it take me before i had a playstation in uh, three months right you know and i wanted you know i asked for it that christmas so it was pretty much uh, upon imme- you know immediately i wanted it so it wasn't like one of those things i sat back a year or two i mean i had it virtually you know right from the start uh, but I also did have a Saturn 
May of 95. Uh, my story, my quick story behind that was the only reason I was able to afford and get a Saturn that quickly. So the weird thing is for me at the time is that early launch was good for me selfishly because I had a Jaguar with about a dozen games that I no longer wanted and I traded everything in at Babbage's at the time and I had enough based off of that huge trade to get a Saturn, obviously, which was packed in with Virtua Fighter and then I think shortly thereafter, I got, uh, you know, within a couple months, I got Daytona USA and Panzer Dragoon. So so for me, that spring and summer had a lot of great Saturn memories, even though for the industry, it was a horrible move. And then, you know, by the end of the year, PlayStation was out. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good PlayStation memories. But at the very start, uh, I did not have a lot of faith in it. Uh, until it did become a reality, and then you started to see, you know, I, I hate to mention it because I'm going to get so much flack, even though the game has aged terribly. But Toshinden was, uh, yeah, really one of the ones that made me pull that trigger. No, you know, it's it. I mean, I can see why you wouldn't have had faith because it was just like this electronics company coming into games, which back then, you know, we 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 had seen no real examples of that working and we would then oh as of course the christmas music plays uh, <laughs> i might not cut this out i might just leave this in just no just leave it leave it to leave annoy it. everybody leave it um so you know we hadn't gotten to like the 3do era right yet so we we didn't have that in the cdi and all these like you know, non-gaming electronics folks trying to make consoles. That's right. Panasonic, Philips. Right. But there was reason to think that Sony would have no idea what they were doing. But, you know, like, at the same time, that was also kind of part of the exciting part of it, was that they were coming at it with an electronics mentality, which meant they were doing some things that really felt different than Nintendo or Sony, Nintendo or Sega would do. And that's kind of, like, what was interesting. And in a weird way, like, you said that kind of it felt very Japanese. Mm-hmm. And it did. And I liked that at first because it did seem like this console... I don't know how to explain it, but, but you know, Sega and Nintendo both, of course, are Japanese companies. But, like, Nintendo didn't feel very Japanese back at that, in that era. And they kind of hid the fact they were Japanese a lot of the time. And Sega had become a very America-focused company in a way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, through the Genesis being so popular in the West, like they also felt much more like a Western uh, company, and they had you know Western teams making like sports games and, and more Westerny actiony stuff. So, yeah, in a weird way, the the PlayStation, including the name, right? PlayStation, yeah, like, the, that was a very Japanese thing. Yeah, you're actually kind of backing up, uh, solidifying what I'm saying that I'm not crazy because I know. Look, everybody knows I'm uh, into the you know Japanese pop culture. That you know my favoritism towards you know the Eastern type of gaming, and it's it's pretty much always been like that. So this may sound stupid to say, but like like you said, you know, Nintendo is a Japanese company. Sega, look, if we really want to split hairs, Sega started as an American company in the fifties, but that's right. that's a story for the history books. But there's another Japanese company. But the PlayStation was 
really Japanese. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. just like you said, from the, I mean, really, like, this may be a weird analogy, but it was like the anime of, like, like we're talking, this was Japanese. It was, yeah. Yeah. But but then it would be, it's so funny that we both say that and think that, but then you look like a year, two years later, right? Mm-hmm. And you're in a situation where you've got a PlayStation that's, like, saying that you can't have 2D games on it and all these kind of, like, Western-focused franchises that are coming up, like Crash Bandicoot and Twisted Metal and Jet Mo- Mojo and Destruction Derby and, and, you know, whatever else. And then meanwhile, the the most of the value of the Saturn comes in in playing imports on it. So the Saturn, to me, like, if I think about it, like, the Saturn, to me, is a hardcore Japanese console at this point because you know 70 to 80 percent of that system's value is is games that never came west right right and I mean I can't you know it's I don't I can't tell you how many youtubers I watch the hardcore ones and you know it's weird there's always that connection of like you know Saturn always comes up it's one of their favorite systems to either collect for or due to the import only uh you know library and uh, that seems to be echoed time and time again. But I will also say this, and I may have said this in the past. Look, everybody knows I was a huge Saturn fan. I, that was the first system, technically, I think, that I ever that I really started doing my imports on. Okay, but um, and I think I think me too, actually. Yeah, but here's the thing. In all fairness, and I'm not trying to switch sides or backpedal. There was a reason why PlayStation was number one. At the oh, time. Yeah, yeah okay. you know what I mean? Look, if it was up to me, I would have loved all the Neo Geo stuff to go on Saturn Arcade Perfect with the RAM carts. I would have loved to get have gotten to see some of the 3D games on Saturn get to take advantage of the extra RAM. You know, more money, more time put into development to really get more out of the system. But, you know, that's not how it... That's not how things played out in Sony at the time. Um, you know, they played their cards right and kind of... You know, they knew where the direction of the industry was headed, and, and it was the right system at the right time. You know, I feel the same with the PS2, and um, I guess this fits. You know, we're talking about PlayStation. Uh, we can kind of parlay this into a PlayStation and then kind of lead this to its competitor. But uh, uh, it's going to be interesting in one year where we are. We're one year away from the latest next-generation console war. Holiday 2020, we'll see Xbox Series X. Oh. <laughs> that's uh, three X's in there. That's triple X taken on PlayStation 5. Or so, the kids are already uh, shortening it to XSEX. Are you serious? Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, but, you know... It seems like the pendulum each generation has been swinging from one uh, direction to the other, from one console's court, so to speak, to the opposing. Uh, PlayStation 4 has had quite a run, cracking 100 million units sold globally, breaking records once again. Uh, some, you know, on paper, repeating the glory days and ways of PS2, PS1. Between you and me, not to, to be a Debbie Downer, just speaking from the heart, 
uh, I don't feel like I, look. I love the PlayStation Four. I got a ton of stuff on it, and it's we're getting into time now and being an adult. So don't take this the wrong way. I'm glad Sony has had the success and they've achieved those numbers. But to me, it it doesn't feel like PlayStation Two or PlayStation One. The PS Four. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying. I'm just you know, and maybe that's just because of I life. Think, uh, I, I will, think. Will, if, will you I, remember? And uh, and down the road, like you know, you think PS One, you think PS Two, greatest of all time. Do you think in future conversations you'll be throwing PS Four into that conversation for yourself personally? I think I would put PS Two first and PS Four second. Wow. I would put PS Four over PS One. Like wow. I, I, I really think that a lot's come together with the PS4. I mean, it's hard, but the, the reason this conversation is—I mean, the reason this question is hard—is because <laughs> the PS1 had no real competition, mm-hmm. right? I mean, think about it, right? Like, if you if you think about systems that are the greatest of all time, like mm-hmm. the most dominant systems of all time, I need to look up a number. Um, you know, the systems that just beat everything and dominated the industry, right? I I mean, I think a lot of us would think of the NES. Correct. That's right? what, Yes, correct. Like, you think in your mind that, like, the NES had to have been one of the biggest systems of all time because you everybody had it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody you knew that was young had an NES. Right. It was everywhere. But the NES only sold... Just over kn- 60 million systems. I knew you were going to go down that direction, and I got to be honest, I didn't even think it was 60 million, I'm not, and I'm not questioning you. You're probably looking at the number. I I don't want to make excuses because I've looked and thought of that as well. A um, couple things going on there. Industry wasn't as big, right? Right. The industry right. came back literally from the ashes in the West, and at that, due to regu- – not regulations, but due to their – stronghold on third parties and competition like with the master system and whatever turbo graphics there really was no competition so nintendo truly was the you know at the time and you'll know this the word nintendo in the 80s and early 90s was akin to saying hey uh, you know you go hey you thirsty get me a coke or hey you gotta blow your nose get me a kleenex I remember, I remember real quick, I remember somebody, uh, a pizza delivery guy, came to my house one time, and I was playing some of the Genesis, and he looked in, and he's like, oh, you're playing Nintendo? And I was really <laughs> mad at him for that, because I was like, no, you asshole, I'm playing Genesis. So, but yes, I mean, yeah, it was, it was Coke, it was Kleenex, it was Q-tip, it was, you know, just the word yeah. you use for video games. Right. But but, uh, but okay. But I think my point is. But that I get what you said. But here's the thing: on paper and looking at history without context, and if you hadn't lived through it, when you look at the numbers, yeah, the numbers just straight up, you know, aren't anywhere close to PlayStation One, PlayStation Two. Well, but I, I think I think what it is is that when a console has way less competition we tend to remember it much more. You know, like, the PS1 really had no competition. I mean, let's be fair. Saturn was in competition. The N64, no matter what Nintendo fans thought it was going to be competition. It had had some high points, but yeah, I mean, it, but, but it, it, but it wasn't like bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't the dominant 
right. system like the PS1 was, right. and then we would see that dominance to insane levels with the PS2, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem with PS4, is that, like, Nintendo has a pretty good system out right now. Like, they didn't a few years ago, but they do now. Microsoft has a pretty good system that 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 went from really terrible at launch to way better now. Mm-hmm. So it's I think it's harder to give the PlayStation 4 the credit it deserves because <clears throat> it isn't standing alone dominating everything else. But I think if you look at it in terms of experience, overall library, quality of games and everything, I, I think I would absolutely put it over the PS1. I will say this, getting back to the NES thing and how, you know, hey, you're playing Nintendo and, and, you know, pass me a Coke. I will tell you without doing, like, looking at numbers, just getting a feel, like human being, to like on a, in everyday life. I will tell you the system that I hear a lot of people talking about and they don't have to begin, like something that comes up more mainstream, in my opinion, because it's been so strong. Switch. Yeah. I feel like Switch has that current uh, strength behind it, you know, where and it, it and I'm not saying it like it's my favorite system of all time. I'm just throwing this out there. You know, I think that will be looked back upon as, uh, you know, like a PS2 type ordeal. Let me ask you this. Speaking of next wait, wait, gen. Wait, 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 wait. Before, oh, yeah, yeah. before you go on. Yeah. What is the best selling system of all time? You're asking me? Yeah. Uh, we're excluding handhelds. We're not including... No, no, everything, everything. Give me a couple guesses. Hold on. My my knee-jerk reaction, and I want to say it was just recently surpassed, and it might have been... I thought... Okay. I want to say Nintendo DS. Then what is number two? Did I get that right? I, I'm not going to tell you yet. What's okay, number two? Okay, I, I believe it's DS, but I almost want to contradict myself and say that that number was either close... Can't Someone came closer or surpassed it. I can't believe I'm going to say this. It's I want to say PS4 or PS2. I I really want. I don't know why I have PS4 in my head. Um, I know it's not 3DS because that's like 70, 80 range, which is nothing to sneeze at, but nothing uh, close to the glory days of the DS. Uh, I'm going DS number one. I'm going PS2 number two. PS4's in there, and then somewhere in that mix, and then get me a vomit bag, is probably the Wii. So, uh, number one is the uh, Neo Geo. Uh, what? Number two is the Turo What? <laughs> 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 I can't get through my joke. <laughs> um, no, so obviously, you know, uh, <coughs> the problem is we don't have the exact numbers, but from everything everybody knows, number one is PS2, and number two is DS, so you get those two swapped around. Mm. Uh, number three, I, I think this is a little unfair, maybe because they're they're combining two systems I don't know should be combined, but uh, Game Boy and Game Boy Color are next. Uh, at what number? At number three. Really? What's that number? Yeah. 118 million. I didn't think it was quite that high. Wow. And then, and then you've got PS4, PS2, uh, Wii, PS3, and then Xbox 360. Okay, so I'm not nuts in the sense of... I. So PS4 did surpass PS2? I no, 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 PS1. Because PS2 is number one. Oh, 
I apologize. By, by, by a wide margin. I, what, I mean, what, compared to those numbers. On that sheet, what's a PS4 at and what was PS1? Uh, PS1 is 102. Well, the problem is, is it just it basically just beat the PS1. Okay. Because um, they're both 102, but then change is where they're different. Okay. Um, and then PS2 is 159. Wow. What is uh, DS, like 141 or something like that? I'm 154. Guessing. Wow. That, that's, that's why you could be right, you know, if we had the full final numbers from both systems. Like, mm-hmm. they're close wow. enough that it could, you know, be swapped. But. Wow. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, so we got the Xbox coming out next year. We got PlayStation 5. What type of chance do you feel for next year's holiday season, just in terms of taking a piece of the pie? Like, let's take the power out of it. We know... Uh, look, I, I'm not re- I don't need a new PS5 and Xbox next year, but the reality is they're coming, Okay. And I'm sure I get, and I'm I'm sure there's people out there hungry. And by the way, not to sidetrack, because we're going to get to this probably next. Look, you look at Resident Evil Three. We don't need PlayStation Five and Xbox X next year, okay? I I I don't know. Like you watch that that Hellblade Two video, and if we could actually get that in games, I don't know, man. I I kind of I kind of am ready for that. It it, it it was very cool. It was very cool. It's the and, lighting. The lighting's what's going to do it. Like the mm. lighting's really going to change things. I think. Well, uh, since you bring, you know what? Okay, if that's legit, and and I'm sure the system's going to be capable of it. Okay, even if it's not out of the box. Let's say that was BS. From what I saw, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like we we will be seeing it in gaming. Hollywood, le- modern day Hollywood level of quality of special effects and visual graphics. L- like, and what I mean by that is, and look, I'm sure I know this would take time and money. It's all going to come down to how much, you know, your developers, your time, your budget. Not everybody's going to be able to do this, but, and you tell me if I'm talking stupid talk. I mean, with the power, I, I mean, there's literally going to be no difference now between the type of visual effects they have to implement in, like, let's say, an Avengers movie versus what you're going to be playing in your game at home. Would you agree with that statement? Um, <sighs> I mean, if you look at that Hellblade thing, like some of the shots and stuff, like I'm not going to say it looked like pure, like it looked like the main character could pass just about his photo, pretty close to photorealistic. And then like when it came to the environments and effects, I mean, I've seen Hollywood movies with worse well, effects. I, I, I think of environments where I don't know because if you look at games like a Resident Evil and whatever, um, you know, RE2 remake, um, there's a lot of work being put into characters to make them really, really believable because you have the whole uncanny valley problem, you know? So that's one of the things that most has to be solved in video games is, is getting our characters to look realistic and believable. But I think that environments are way tougher to do because there's just so much more work, so much more detail, so much more to put into that. And and characters are always going to be the first primary focus in terms of realism. So I don't know. Like, I don't I don't know. And I just think back to, like, being told that PS2 was going to give us, like, toy, toy Story level visuals 
which didn't, you know. The so, emotion engine? Yes. So mm-hmm. I always hesitate to, to jump into that just yet. But I don't know. We're going to see. I think I said, I think lighting's going to be a big deal. and Because mm-hmm. you watch some of the just, you know, like demo videos for like what ray tracing does. And just changing the lighting can make s- environments and characters look drastically different. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's... I'm kind of excited. Like I, I would have told you maybe a year ago that I I could just still wait for some time for new systems. But I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see. You know, this really the really big games we're getting like to really give them that extra oomph, so that maybe I I can have good frame rates if I'm playing at 1080p. You know, like I don't need right. 4K yet. Right. I, I would, I would just love rock solid 60 FPS 1080p, and get and get a lot of benefits from still playing in 1080p by having those higher pixel counts, like downsampled and look really good. So, before I get into some other opinionated questions on that, so let me ask you this: uh, from what I was saying earlier, how do you think? Nintendo Switch's sales are going to uphold next season. I mean, I think the thing with Switch is you, And before you go on, do you think they're going to do you think they're going to get out the next Zelda next year? Next year? Yeah. Mm, that's a good question. I think they're going to pull that card. They I mean, they might cuz I don't know like well because I don't think Metroid's ready yet. And, and I was going to say, if they really wanted to do a double whammy, I wouldn't be surprised if the Metroid... Yeah, but... Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, I, yeah, I think I think next year could be good, good year for Zelda 2. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, like, you know, back with the Wii U, I mean, the Wii U had its own share of problems, but I, I feel like there was more pressure on the Wii U to have the same kind of games that the Xbox 360 and the PS1 had. Mm-hmm. You know, like when when those games weren't on the Wii U but were on the other systems, like you really felt it. Like I don't, I don't feel oh, that as. L- much. Let me rephrase my question. I apologize because uh, uh, let me rephrase. So I'm actually not really talking power. So obviously there's going to be people, your Xbox fans, your Sony fans. They want, they want, they're ready. Right. Uh, I do consider the Switch a completely unique experience, something different. And with what they've been able to do with art direction and visual tricks, they have some very beautiful looking games. I guess in terms of momentum and fan, just in, just in terms of momentum and popularity, do you think it's going to maintain its popularity? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's where I was going. It's the fact that, like, yeah. because I don't think there's that pressure, like, I, I don't know that the Switch is going to be in as much trouble when the next systems hit as the Wii U was when the PS4 and the Xbox One hit. Like I would agree <clears> with that. <throat> you know, and I mean, part of it, you could say, it's like, well, it's it's also a handheld, right? So I'm not expecting my handheld to be next-gen level, but, like, I kind of I kind of don't care if a game like Hellblade 2 can be on Switch or not. I don't know. Like, I, I don't... like. When when games like you know we just had Alien Isolation come out, right? And it's supposedly a fantastic port on Switch. <coughs> I think that's neat, and I think if you're somebody who loves that game, then it's neat to have it on Switch now. You can play it right. there. But I kind of 
don't care if that exists. You know, if if Doom didn't exist, if the Wolfenstein port didn't exist, if these other ports didn't exist, like, I'd be okay, you know, if The Witcher didn't exist, I'd be okay with that. I think it's neat that they do exist, so I can have the option of playing those games as a handheld, you know, experience, but if they didn't, I... I... I think I'm, I, I think that was I think that was thing with the Wii, right? Like with the GameCube, if you didn't just like Nintendo's games, then the GameCube could quickly fail because you wanted it as your regular system, right? Right. You right. might have had the GameCube as your primary system, and that never would have worked because all the great games weren't coming to it. The Wii was something totally different. The Wii U went back to being. It kind of wants to be your primary system, but it's not mm-hmm. getting all these games. It's getting a few hand-me-downs here and there, but not the you know the the bulk of the games. And with the Switch, like I think it goes back to being, I don't care if it's my primary system or not. I I come to the Switch not just because I want to only own one console, and that's why I want everything on that one console. I own the Switch because I want all these experiences that the other systems just can't give me. Sure. In terms of, like, it can be a handheld, it can be a console, it can be both, you know? And I would love if the Switch had enough power to give me everything and only have that one system, but I kind of don't care that it doesn't. So I, I think I think the Switch is going to be fine in just doing what it's doing right now. You know, have these big Nintendo games, have a bunch of smaller stuff, have some interesting experiences, and then have the random kind of AAA game that can maybe come to it. But otherwise, I don't know. I think it's going to be fine, personally. What I'm about to say, I've said to you privately a handful of times, so I know you're sick of uh, hearing this, but I don't think I've ever said it on a recorded show, and I know you'll agree. So, we just got done discussing how Switch has so much, so many different experiences. You don't even need all the AAA games, but it does have a, a healthy amount of that. It's, it's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. does a great job. With all of the stuff that has gone on Switch, including Doom, including the Wolfensteins, including Doom Eternal coming out, which which I don't know, it, the, the, the Switch is probably going to melt in your hands when that comes out. I mean, they're getting Doom Eternal, right? I, I keep faking myself out in like when these video game awards shows happen, when the Nintendo Directs happen, I keep saying to myself, oh, the, it's rudimentary. This game is going to switch. Persona 5. How is Persona 5 not announced for Switch yet? That that one that one is weird to me. I cannot I have had this discussion with other people. They tried to give me an angle like I'm always up for listening like you know you may be like you know Anthony you're not looking at it from this perspective. You know this is going on with the market or the there is nothing you can say to convince me on this one in that the Switch is the perfect system for it. Be, because here's the thing. I I think Persona is a great, an awesome looking game. Once again, that anime aesthetic, that art direction. And you have to remember. And look, it didn't run quite as well as the PS4 version, but it was still great. Persona 5, technically, came out on PlayStation 3. And then we got it on PlayStation 4. And as we know, the Switch Arc, you know, we, we've learned more about it. It's definitely way more powerful than the PS3. How, 
is Persona 5. They're getting the um, the Musso style game, which I did hear. I can't remember my source. I actually did hear Atlas or whomever is help overseeing it that they're making sure it's not a run-of-the-mill cookie-cutter Musso style Persona game. And I can't remember the name of it. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's, it's – yeah, I'm – God. Like, yeah, I, I can't remember the name. But yeah, no, I, I, I have seen some footage of it and it looks like – pretty meaty which is surprising yeah allegedly they want to make this a real entry you know make it make it a really good game that aside so switch is getting that persona persona 5 royale which just got a release date in the u.s i think a 331 i would have bet you money that it was going to get announced for switch i can't figure you know what i'm afraid is going to happen hmm. it's going to come out on ps4 or whatever and like six months later or whatever, if it doesn't come out six months later, it's going to get announced for Switch. I, I could I could see that. I could see that maybe happening. Yeah. But no, it's it's funny because I, I would say the same thing about Nier Automata. I was or, expecting or it. Or yeah. Automata, uh, some people will call I'm, it. Yes. I'm only giving that a little bit more time because that might be a little bit tougher to get on Switch. But once again, not to beat a dead horse, I keep using this example. If... If they're getting, you know, if Bethesda or whatever is getting the modern the uh, Doom engine in some form or fashion to run on there, I mean, good Christ. I mean, I think we can get, you know, near. I know it's two different things, but yeah, so near I, near I haven't forgotten about, and I'm still expecting that to come. Persona 5 is the shocker to me the most because of the engine and how they can get that to run on Switch. It, that is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really, really did think that we would already have known Persona Five was coming to Switch by this point. So yeah, no, that, that that is still very shocking to me. So yeah, but uh, do you think not to not to uh, kill this, but? Do you think there's any sort of chance that – do you like how I'm jumping ahead? We don't even have Persona 5 announced, and now I'm going to ask this. So do you think there's any sort of chance that there's like a multi-pack or something like that that comes to switch of like P3, Fez, P4, you know, something like that for Persona fans to play catch-up coming to switch, and then like they announced Persona 5 Royal as well? I I, mm, – I – I think if this was a different Atlas, then yes. Like the pre-Sega Atlas, then maybe. Oh, really? But for some reason, I just I just feel like I don't know they're going to go back to those games. Because, I mean, when you do think about it, it, it is really weird that Persona 4 Golden is only on Vita. Correct. Right? Like, that's really weird that that what some people would argue as the best version of P4 is only on the Vita. Right. So, I mean, maybe, maybe they're, they could do that then, and, and, you know, kind of... I think the problem is, I don't know if they would do three. I think four and five would be easier, because they could just port Golden over, and then mm-hmm. have P5, but I think with P3, you're not going to bring the PSP version over even though it's like oh, kind of sure, one of the more yeah. fully featured yeah. ones. Yeah. But you can't just bring the PS2 version over. So, like, I could see a 4 and 5 situation, but I don't think a 3, 4, and 5. Hmm. Well. Well, let me uh, 
if you want to, well, actually, you know what? We'll get one more positive thing here uh, before we get into a little bit of last night. So let me ask you this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Resident Evil 3 remake trailer that just hit within the last few days? I'm, I'm really mad it was spoiled. Like, because, you know, <laughs> From when, you the, watch, when you watch yeah. how they did it. Yeah about like you know oh and here's the campaign mode for resident evil resistance you know like it was such a great way to lead into that and it would have been a huge shock so i'm i'm really mad that it leaked like i really am um otherwise i I think it looks awesome um i i'm not a hundred percent on new jill not 90 percent maybe um I think she's totally fine, but I can also understand a little bit of the the uh, complaints people have about her looking a little too generic. What? Well, I mean, just the fact that they're saying that she looks a little uh, new era Lara Crofty, you know. Oh, I don't, same well, kind of like know, tank top on and stuff. So you know what? Problem solved. You pre-order it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that, that outfit's the, dumb. Like, no, I don't want that outfit. No, the RE three legacy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, I thought, then what's the complaint? Well, no, I I think that they just... I think they could have made... And, and the, they I actually... Th- I th- no. Previously, <laughs> I, I tweeted about this because there was somebody who did, like, a mock-up artwork okay. for, like, four or five designs, like, how Jill could look. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have made her more, like... I totally agree with making her more down-to-earth and realistic in terms of her what she's wearing, but I think they could have done something that would have fit that but also looked a little more unique compared to some of the other kind of female gaming characters that are already out there i'll have to take a look i don't want to give my full-blown opinion because i haven't seen all of what you're talking about my my how i feel right now uh i thought she looked incredible i loved how she looked I mean, yeah, for the most part, I think that's it. I'm just—it's just a little complaint about what she's wearing, but otherwise, I think she looks looks great. Hmm. Um, I, I said I'm I'm so excited by this kind of new era of of totally remaking these characters in in HD. But but um, I think the problem now is that we're getting this so quickly that now I just am going to be sitting here waiting for Code Veronica. Like, oh, I really, really, really want to see them remake Code Veronica. There's something I want to say about Resident Evil 3, but I also don't want to say it because I don't want it to get into people's minds. Not that this person is the be-all, end-all, and it could have been a joke. It was years ago, and I probably shouldn't have said what I just said. But <laughs> look, I'm excited for Resident Evil 3, and these are just words, right? I remember years ago on Twitter, uh, Hideki Kamiya was asked about Resident Evil 3, and I'm paraphrasing. He either said what he either said Resident Evil 3 was junk or Resident Evil 3 was shit. Mm. So... <laughs> I do know, not from him, but I do believe, and you know, I read so many little stories and gaming history stories that I love, Resident Evil 3, don't quote me on this because I'm not looking at it, two things, I think they obviously wanted another Resident Evil out to milk the franchise because it was so super successful, especially after the heels of Resident Evil 2. But at the same time, I don't think they were ready. They couldn't do like Resident Evil 4 per se. And with that being said, I think Resident Evil 3 at the time was put together pretty quickly. 
pretty quickly. If I remember, I'm sure I'll forget, but if I remember, I'll look that up. But I know I know there were a couple unique instances around the creation of Resident Evil 3 and whether or not the developers actually wanted to, to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, it, it was always one of those weird games that, that didn't feel like what you would expect from an RE3 Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I I love Jill. She's probably one of my favorite characters in the series. Like I thought it was awesome to have a Jill focused game, but mm-hmm. it it felt really really weird to go from two games that had two protagonists with two different kind of storylines to a game that didn't. Mm-hmm. You know that then um, that felt far far smaller in terms of scope and focus. But in the same way, in the same way, like, I kind of feel like Code Veronica wasn't really supposed to be Code Veronica, you know? So the argument is, was was Code Veronica supposed to have actually been RE4? I knew you were going to say that, but because it was or, on Sega. Or was Code Veronica supposed to have been RE3? Because, I mean, I'm not, I'm, this is just totally me right now, off the cuff, saying weird things, but like... Given the fact that Chris is in RE, I mean Code Veronica, right? Like, could it have originally been Jill and Chris, kind of a return to the original game in a way? Mm-hmm. That instead of instead of Claire and Chris, it was Jill and Chris. I don't know, but I'll have to do some digging. But nonetheless, uh, Resident Evil Three looks just looks phenomenal. I'm very excited for it. And the reason I'm excited is because uh, Resident Evil Two was so incredible. And I'm so happy Resident Evil 2 got the respect it deserved last night at the 2019 Video Game Awards in picking up Game of the Year. Oh, whoops. <laughs> whoops. But, but at, least uh, got award, at least we got the award for... Oh, wait. It didn't get the Well, so here's the deal. And look, say what... You, Video Game Awards doesn't mean anything at the end of the, the day, no. But I will say this. Look. Probably my game of the year, right? But that, let's let's say you don't agree it's not game of the year. Fine. I'm not going to argue. How is it in 2019? Okay, this, this is why I'm so stuck on this. Resident Evil 2 does something that's one of the toughest things to do in gaming. And we said this earlier in the year. How do you take a game that's so beloved, considered one of the best entries in a in a global, you know, phenomenon of a series in Resident Evil? How do you capture the nostalgia? How do you keep the people of yesteryear that lived through it in 1998 happy? Yet how do you modernize it enough to where you can capture a new audience, um, you know, make it worth your while to revisit it again and keep the past and present happy? Resident Evil 2 did it, and that is super rare. I mean, you could probably count on one hand how many times throughout the annals of gaming history that that has happened. So it's just shocking to me. Like it, I don't. It didn't pick up any awards, like nothing. Like even if you had to make up an award, like greatest or like best remake of the year, I don't know. I don't know what you know, but it didn't get anything. Yeah, I mean, there there were good parts where I really didn't think DMC Five was going to win, and I was really happy it won. Um, but oh yeah, for it, action and that yeah, and that probably it's close, but yeah, probably yeah, that that would have been my action game of the year as well. Yeah, yeah, but but it it was sad to me that RE2 didn't get anything. 
Yeah, I mean, but but it was a good year. Like there was some really really good games out there, and like good good games that deserved awards. So it was it was tough, and and I think was it a question of RE2 was at the beginning of the year, so people kind of forgot about how good it was, or was it the problem of well, it's it's technically a remake, so we want to give awards to games that are kind of new and fresh, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it. it it did kind of suck, but I don't know. Speaking of, uh, you will be qualified to speak on this. I will not from a firsthand perspective because I don't own this game and I haven't played it officially. If you want to give us some sound bites on the polarizing and divisive Death Stranding. It was it was actually an interesting glean last night because I wasn't sure, like, is Death Stranding <laughs> going to get a lot of awards? Is it going to get no awards? You know? But... The thing I kind of felt last night, and <clears throat> I will admit that I have, I, I was at some point a one of the judges for for the game awards. Like I, I voted for him. Um, I don't currently, but I, I did before. Uh, there, there, there is sometimes the the tendency to feel like, well, I gave this game an award in one category. So I don't necessarily want to give it an, mm. an award in another category. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like sometimes it was like, okay, well, if this game won this category, then it's probably not going to win Game of the Year or something, you know. So I, I, I think, in a way, it 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 is kind of nice that you don't have these games that just sweep the awards completely, right? You know, um, but there is also the argument of well. Is it truly fair to say, since I gave a game an award in one category, I'm not going to give it anything else? You know, because cause you didn't run into the cat. Well, you didn't. It's like almost like you're working backwards, right? It's like, well, okay, I know I'm going to give X game game of the year. Mm-hmm. So, knowing that, then taking that out of other categories, then what games from there do I give those awards to if that game's not going to get it? Right. So it's yeah. So it gets into kind of a weird situation. But I, I, I was, but wasn't surprised that Death Stranding didn't get more awards. Yeah, I think. I, but I do think, arguably, it kind of got two. It got like what best direction, and then I think it got or what was it? Mad Mickelson got best performance yeah. in a game. Yeah. So it kind of squeaked out two in that respect. Yeah. I mean, I've watched a lot of footage online. I do. I do still intend to get it down the road. Um, I, I'm waiting for a price drop. I never thought I would say that about a Hideo Kojima game. Kojima's um, going to totally unfriend Jeff Kelly now, you know, because oh. he didn't get more awards. Um, no, it's actually, it's interesting because uh, Death Stranding isn't doing great sales-wise. Those review the reviews, re- I, I mean, I knew you and I talked privately beforehand, and I kind of... The way you were describing it to me, which was interesting because you, you, and I believe you because I know, look, for the record, I don't have to say this as Molly is my friend and nobody was paid off. Believe me. As a matter of fact, Molly took some flack on comments for her review. Trust me, Molly is not a Kojima uh, fangirl. That is, that is absolutely not the case. You know, we've had discussions about Metal Gear in the past and, you know, where we stand on that. But anyway, 
I knew from how you were describing it, even though you were enjoying it and loving the uniqueness and the characters, but other aspects when I asked questions and was getting, you know, I don't want to say unclear types of answers at the time, I knew that was going to be a killer for the masses. I mean, it's such a tough that you can't, it's a hard, it's a tough sell. Yeah, and, and but I wonder, like, is this going to have any effect on his next game? Like, I, I don't know that it's going to, you know, but I mean, the question is like, did he expect it to do better? Did Sony expect it to do better? Was this, was, you know, there's kind of, like, you know, th- there's like directors, right, where the Mac- the McDeals and like Christopher Nolan's famous for doing this is like, all right, I'll make another Batman mm-hmm. if then the movie after that gets to be whatever the hell I want to make, right? That's where things like Inception and, and, and Interstellar and stuff come from. So, was it the case of, okay, let's let Kojima get some of that artsiness out of his system because he's been doing nothing but Metal Gear for so long and, you know, there was no expectation on how this game was going to do, but then the next game is something where maybe it has to perform better, right? Like, he has to then make a big hit and then maybe then he can go back to making another weirdo little game. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about, like, what... If what if any effect this is going to have on him as a game creator now? Well, he's his own, he's quote his own man now, correct? I know he used the Gorilla Engine and they have like a satellite studio or whatever in Europe, but he's his own man now, correct? Right, but in terms of like in terms of like getting funding. Oh, right? oh, oh. Uh, well, two things. Well, well, before I forget, did you see that one of his main men? What was it? Ken and Maizumi left. Kojima Productions? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And, and super random. I, You know, I believe I met him in September 2012 at the Seattle PAX when I was at the booth checking out Metal Gear Rising. And I believe he follows me on Twitter for whatever that's worth. So anyway, that's why that name sticks out to me. So I saw he left. I don't know. I, I kind of th- I think Kojima's next game is going to be another weird one. I don't think that's going to change immediately. I think. Because, I mean, the, pro- the problem is, like, as 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 touted as he is, as right. many fans as he is, there's only so many so-so games you can make. I think know. he's got one more in him, and I'm not like I'm just. I think he's going to do another one like this. I think he's going to get one more, like another weird one out there. But I'm totally with you, like. I think this first one was, I don't want to say a gimme, but I think Sony or whoever, and I can't blame him because if I was, you know, if you told me Kojima and his team were available, and I mean, who wouldn't take him? Because just based on the name alone, right, you're going to get a certain amount of sales. I don't know what those numbers are, though, right now for Death Stranding. Um, do, do you know any of the numbers? Has it cracked at the very least? Has it cracked a million? Um, I'll have to look, but as I know, like, in the UK and Japan, it wasn't doing super great sales-wise, and then the numbers for November, well, at least the chart for November in America came out, and it, it wasn't nearly as high as it should have been. Was it top 10, or was it like, was it like 8 or yeah, 9? Yeah, it, it was top 10, but it wasn't, like, what was it? Let me see. Yeah, I don't know how one-dimensional this is going to make me sound, because I, I, look, I am an action buff. And Metal Gear, you know, there's action, there's great sequences, but, you know, Metal Gear is known for its quirks, its, you know, the crazy story, um, 
you know, attention to detail. There's a whole wide array of things that make Metal Gear Metal Gear. But at the end of the day, there are action elements. There's the whole unique, what was unique at one time. It's, you know, stealth, you know, essentially creating that that genre. But, and I don't want to misspeak and speak out of turn because I don't own the game and haven't played it. But I've watched at least a couple hours of Twitch play and trailers and reviews. And I even watched spoilers because I know I'm not getting the game for a while. But there aren't even any like true act. There's no true action in the game either. And I'm not saying a game has to have action to be, uh, you know, like guns and you know, shooty McShoot shoot. But I keep saying this, but it's a tough sell when you know I saw. I don't even know what what is the main character in Death Stranding using to. I mean, there there are guns. No, I didn't. Re- okay. Well, I, I, I because guess, our- maybe I shouldn't say maybe I shouldn't say that, but um, there, there are def- there, there's definitely well, there's like these weird forces. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more stuff than you might initially think in the game. Okay. Hmm. So, I mean, it's it's never an action game, but if you want action, there are definitely chances for it. Hmm. So, uh, so, so it debuted. Uh, so, this was the month it came out, and it was number seven on the sales list for software uh, for November. Which, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not like super, super great. And just in terms of like PlayStation Four by itself, it got beat by Call of Duty and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I said, I mean, you know, like, I mean, the the one of the good things about Sony is that they they do um, at times make prestige games just to have prestige games you know like last guardian and stuff like that where it feels like they care a little bit less about sales and a little bit more about having something that really kind of stands out on the system so i i don't know that sony's going to be disappointed in death stranding but i also don't know like what they expected it to do it is funny because this game does with the actors and the look you know it does have that sony it does feel PS4, PS3, PS4 era Sony. I'm not talking like in terms of like PS3 graphics. I'm talking like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like what they're advertising and what they, you know. I think you and I talked about this. Like, uh, uh, Sony's really in this uh, story, like character driven, artsy era of its gaming. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Do you know what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah, yeah, and I and I think there's a place for that, but but goddamn, that's like every game Sony's put out in the last. To, to be fair, they yeah they do have Days Gone and God of War, Jesus and Christ, Uncharted and The Last of Us. And- yeah, I mean, I mean, I know Nintendo gets a lot of shit because of all their characters. You know, they're like Disney, and I, I, but there's so many different. Uh, I don't know why it sounds like I'm pleasuring Nintendo right now. I'm not, you know, I'm a Sega guy, but. I mean, goddamn! I mean, the Sony stuff—it's starting to, you know, they're doing so much of it. Which, and I understand where gaming is, you know, that Hollywood aspect. I get it for the mainstream, that big budget. It's what you know you can relate to. Uh, you know what I mean? I get it, but like in terms of a pure game, in terms of a pure game, 
I feel like they're getting away from that more and more. The, the only asterisk I will always put there, though, for its time in 2013, I did love The Last of Us. And I will also say, not to get sidetracked on that, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Molly, and I don't, and I have talked to other people, so this isn't me being a hater. There's other people that feel similar that I know. Uh, I'm not excited, at least yet, for Last of Us 2. I, I think, I mean, I am, but I also think it it looks just so heavy, if that makes sense. Just kind of like... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but just like one of those kind of things where like you just know it's just going to be so brutal and so <laughs> like right downer mm-hmm. and just that not that's going to be fun, but it's going to be you know you have to be in the right mindset for it. Right. Yeah. Versus just like I want to sit down and just shoot stuff. Yeah. Right? Like it's not that kind of game, and mm-hmm. it's not you know which which is kind of interesting to like. And to be fair, I haven't really played much of it yet, but, like, God of War kind of made that change from, I'm this badass killing big monsters and having sex with naked girls and stuff, to, like, (laughs) I'm a dad having to survive in this weird world. And I have to play, I was gifted it very uh, kindly. I got a copy this past summer, which I haven't popped in yet. And it got, like, Game of the Year from many outlets last year. It looks, I've seen some gameplay. Um, my God of War experiences. I played one back in the day, a chunk of it. I I don't don't ask me why, but I I beat God of War three. I do have the collection packs. You know, I have I have some memories and experience with that series. But you, but you just said it, and I'm going to contradict myself. I you know what it is. Here's the deal. There is room for this type of stuff, like. Look at the uh, what was it the Joel and Ellie. I, I keep bringing I keep bringing up Last of Us because it's such a great example because it wasn't overdone at the time. But I gotta tell you, the whole dad thing, the got you know the father, the son having someone. I gotta tell you, I'm just gonna talk. It was a turnoff. I don't want to sit down and play dad. I'm being serious. I mean, I wanna, I wanna have fun. I wanna play something cool. I wanna, you know, if you're gonna give me that action, it looks gorgeous. The, the, you know, the, the technology they use in the game looks unbelievable. I know people love it. It has that what more Norse influence, that Norse mythological uh, element to it. I don't want to go around with my play the whole game with my son and doing that shit. Uh, you, know, you know, in in, in a similar way and. This is something I was actually thinking about recently is that, like, so I don't get a whole lot of time for watching movies. So, uh-huh. like, honestly, when I sit down to watch a movie, like, I don't want to watch, like, a period drama. I don't want to watch, like, a psychological thriller or something really deep. Like, you know what? I just want to, like, for two hours, <laughs> just watch something that's fun and exciting. Yeah. And, and you know, that's why, like, look, I mean, I'm not saying the Marvel movies are, are fantastic, but... Yeah. You know, like we watched the new Spider-Man recently. It's like, I'd rather watch something like that where I can just kind of relax for a few hours and just have fun watching something. Like, I don't just, I really at times don't want to just, like, not suffer through, because that's not the right word, but, you know, like, suffer through something like that. It just that, like, oh my god, this guy is going around and, like, raping and killing these girls, and this detective who's a drunk is trying to find him and stuff, and it's just like, I don't, you know, 
I just I just want to escape from the world for t- a few yeah. hours, right? So I can understand that feeling in like in video games. It's just like that's why at times you know I. I play so much like Apex Legends this year because I can just jump online mm-hmm. and for a half an hour I can shoot people and run around and then just be done with it, right? Like I don't have to spend four hours getting into this really deep, you know, uh, existential crisis of humanity kind of thing. And, and look, there's exceptions to every rule. It's the mood you're in on that day. There's. I'm not saying it needs to go away. I understand you can't keep doing the same thing over and over. But, like, imagine... Bay- well, I shouldn't say that. Well, who gives a shit if it's a spoiler? You know, Bayonetta 1, there is that point you go back in time with Cereza, your younger self. I, I got to really make sure I don't contradict myself. But it's like, you know, imagine the next Bayonetta, Bayonetta 3, and it's, it's Bayonetta, and then you got to do, you know... Uh, you know, you're going around with your daughter or whatever for most of the game, and you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying. Or you know, they ba- change. Bayonetta all- like loses her witch powers, and so she has to go out yeah. and get a real job, and she can't afford the rent. Yeah, I, and <laughs> <laughs> I like playing the like uh, uh, Astral Chain. You pop that. That's a cool. As soon as that game starts up, that is a cool game. What happened to games being? cool like this is awesome like this is an same thing with devil may cry 5 this year i thought was a great example for the you know there were a couple little things i could pick on but you know what happened to cool factor what happened to to i don't know yeah i don't know yeah you know like i'm saying there's, there's times like you know i think like a near 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 automata it's kind of like a game that you can really get into and has a heavy story and there's yeah. there's times when i do want that but i i understand why a lot of the time, people might just not want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it might go to, like, you know, I mean, like, I'm not a Call of Duty fan, but I can kind of understand it because it's just a game you can just play and, like, not, it doesn't expect a lot from you mentally or emotionally. It's like a drug, that 30 seconds or two minutes over and over and over. Uh... Let's see what I got on my notes here. So we went over Death Stranding a bit, talked about the master Hideo Kojima. Uh, thank God Nick isn't here to hear how we were talk or how I was talking about him earlier. Talked about current state of EGM, PlayStation turning twenty five. I actually have notes here about the final twenty nineteen Sony State of Play, which I think was Tuesday, December tenth, and I don't think I caught any of it or heard anything about it. Did you? I, I mean, I watched it. Um, but you know, like really, it, it was RE three. Oh, okay, that, they did show. Okay, yeah, that that's that's where it was revealed. at. yeah, but that was that was the entire reason for it to exist, really. Mm. But wait, wait, okay, so but we have to real quick talk about. I mean, we mentioned it, but we have to talk about Xbox Series X. Oh, okay. Like you were asking me how I think the the Switch is going to be next holiday yeah. season. Yeah. Like, I now don't know how the Xbox Series X is going to be next holiday season. And this is such a superficial thing to say, but, man, I think I think that design is going to turn off a lot of people. Okay. I think it's just so big. Because you can lay it on its side, right? But I think what I read was that it's like, it's like six inches tall, even when it's on its, on its side. Really? Which, you know, if you've got, like, entertainment centers or, 
a sure. desk cluttered with other stuff. Sure. You know, like sure. I've got right now, like <clears throat> I have a desk where I have a 19 inch monitor <clears throat> attached to like one of those kind of like adjustable arm things. Mm-hmm. And so I have to keep like weirdly swapping my, my Xbox one and my PS4 around on there. And just even with that, I'm like, I don't know where I would put that thing. It's just such a weird design. Mm. Like I, I, Okay, forget Japanese market entirely, of course, but <laughs> I, I just like I it, I think if if Sony has a really sleek, which they might not, maybe they're going to have a big hulking thing too. But if they have right. a really sleek looking machine, that sure it's going to be bigger than the PS4, but if it's not like that much worse, and it looks more quote unquote normal, like. I just I don't know like I I weirdly think that design could could not take the system but I think it's going to be a big roadblock for people. So yeah, so this is I weird in a way you're saying that even if they've fixed a lot of their wrongs of the past as they've been doing with the Xbox 1. I don't want to say this is an oversight but something as quote superficial as this could be uh shooting themselves in the foot right out of the gate with something. I don't want to say as simple as this, but this design choice could be their first uh, slip on a banana peel. Yeah, I just, like, it's, it's like, that and the name combined together just feel like really, really weird decisions to make. So I'm going to I'll say two things on the name because I'm stupid. I was under the impression with the Xbox Series X name, and I didn't read this anywhere. You've done more research than me because the only thing I've seen on this is what was shown on the VGAs last night. So I haven't read any articles, nothing. I thought with that name, that was maybe going to be the line, the the lineup of new Xbox console, like, um, what I'm trying to say convey is like. Hey, check out our new lineup, our Xbox uh, Series X, right? Here's the Xbox Series X lineup. and Because wasn't there that rumor there were going to be multiple models? Right, right. I mean, the rumor is that there's going to be a, a, a model that I believe is not as powerful as the Xbox One X, maybe. Right, right. So I'm, I'm spitballing. You know, could they? Could it be like, hey, this is the Xbox One Series X, and then has like a sub name? You know, like I'm get, I'm totally get. You know, this is the Black Belt. You know, this is the Katana, whatever. Yeah, but I guess it's weird because, like, okay, if you're saying Xbox Series X, right? Yeah. Then isn't the Xbox One X part of a Series X? I know it. It is. It is very. Uh, I will say this. It feels. It just feels very like Android phone Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes, correct. That's a good way to put it. Um, I will say this. I wasn't as insulted by the design, not because I'm doing backflips over it, but you know my expectation was so low. You know the Xbox One we're used to now. It's okay. I I I actually think. The Xbox One S is probably the best console design Microsoft has ever done. I really like that system. Am I allowed to disagree? Sure. <laughs> You're allowed uh, to disagree. I, uh, <clears throat> I have to say Xbox's 
pinnacle so far in design and what they were able to do for the it was uh 360 i mean 360 was good it 360 was, it was, was, it was good. that's like their ps1 ps2 um and i'll do a little boasting i have the the red with black trim uh, resident evil 5 360 but that was actually a really good design, you know. And I even remember watching a special show on the design of it and how that came about and how the system's curvature towards the center was kind of, I think it was like supposed to be like the breathing of the, you right. know, like it represented yeah. the breathing of the system. Really smart design. You know, Xbox One uh, was essentially, uh, people made fun of it as like a, a variation of a cable box. So, you know, we're going... Knowing that, and you know the original Xbox design, I never liked. So you figure the first one I didn't like. 360 was very nice. Then we got the cable box. For the next one, I was hoping for something nicer. I saw the Series X, and I'm like, you know, it's very reminiscent to me of a PC tower with a new shell. And I was like, okay. Now my opinion aside, when I looked at Twitter. Now talking to you and other people, I got to say, you're right. Uh, I'm leaving me out of it. Everybody's either making fun of the design. Everybody, you know, everybody for anything these days has their memes ready. And, um, and nobody really seems to like the name. And I won't repeat some of the terminology people used when I explained it to them. I said, oh, yeah, I said the new Xbox. I said while it was already announced, I explained to someone, I said it's officially being called the Xbox One Series X. And I'm not going to state the inappropriate term of, uh, because it, w- it wasn't just a swear word. It was a really bad one. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of people sharing the sentiment of not liking the look. And not really liking the name. I think, you know, I think if it was like half the height and it was more like a cube, I think that could have totally worked. It would have been unique. It would have been different, but it wouldn't have been this big. It's just like big. I mean, because you <laughs> look at it and like you look at like compared to a controller. Right. Like it's about like three controllers high. That's like that's big. And it's not like tall and skinny like a like the monolith from like 2001 or something. It's 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 just on all sides it's big yeah it's almost like do you feel like they're just slapping this hardware together with all these boards and what you know they're they're getting this powerhouse together and they're like okay we have all of our components and now we just gotta wrap it up you know what i mean it's like there's no uh, i i know i'm being disrespectful because i don't you know this isn't my field but yeah it's like design wise it's i mean could you imagine nothing like this would have ever happened in the 80s or 90s in japan because the japanese are known for the compact design uh, and overall aesthetic. Now, we need to put an asterisk there because in recent years, I don't think we've seen the best examples of that. But I'll, I'll give you two examples right off the bat. That you, Two of the greatest architecturally, you know, aesthetically pleasing designs off the top of my head. The Japanese Mega Drive yeah. and the Japanese... PC Engine. Yeah. PC Engine in particular, in hindsight, is something to really look at and study. While it wasn't the most powerful piece of hardware, remember that came out back in 1987. So that predated the home 16-bit, the true 16-bit era by a year. That was only a couple years after, a few years after Famicom. That is really a testament. That design stands a test of time. The Mega Drive is still a, a beautiful piece. 
Um, I, we were just talking about this earlier, just from a design standpoint. In my opinion, the original PlayStation, I feel, is one of the best-looking uh, game consoles. I mean, you're going to disagree with me again. I think the the original PS4 is probably their best design ever. Wow. <laughs> um, I know. But... <laughs> But no, like like the 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 uh, the original PlayStation was a great design. The PS2, like I've come to appreciate. I, I it like a bit the more original fat one. I year. like yeah, I like the original fat one. PS PS3 was a goddamn mess. Uh. <laughs> like the, 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 the slim is the best of that. Like the original is just you know it's just whatever. And then mm. the the super slim is hideous. I yeah. don't like the super slim. I can make some arguments on PS2. I do not like the super slim at. All I remember being in a fries, I don't know why, and it was I think one of the only times I saw the Super Slim. I think it was a Red God of War one or whatever. And the way that Trey uh, maneuvered horizontal, like it just felt. Oh, I I do not like that iteration of the PS3. But anyway, uh, and giggles aside, you know I don't hate I don't hate the PS4. I will say this about the PS4: while it does not rank in my all-time top console designs i will say this at least sony tried with that one they what i mean by that is they didn't go the cable box route someone put some thought into that and i'm not a design expert i know you you have a career in design uh and i have a handful of other there's a handful of other friends in my life that have gone to school and college for that kind of thing they're much more you know, I only know what I know from an eye and what I read myself, you know, my own personal eye and what I personally just like from feel. It has that italicized, that italics design to it, you know, it's. But anyway, back on back on track with the Xbox One Series X. I mean, that's just I mean, Jesus, they could have paid me a quarter of whatever they paid whoever to come up with that. And I could have just come up with that shit. I mean, you know, just slap a, a gridded shell around it so i don't know i know this is great for podcasts but i'm sending you an image and i want you to look at the image real quick in in skype i basically did i i took the height of the xbox series x you know and and i halved it you know and i this is kind of what i imagined when you described it you know it has that has more of a uh I mean, look, they would never put this I mean, out. I mean, we're, it's I mean, more we're of an closer, Apple We're getting feel. closer to GameCube territory. Yes, but. It, that, is, that is more game console. But I think you have something like that. In feel. Like, you can sit that next to your TV. You can sit mm-hmm. it on your desk next to your, mm-hmm. to your monitor or whatever. You can sit yeah. it in a lot of other places. Like, I just think that, that like, I don't know. Like, am I going to want that gigantic thing sitting next to my TV in my living room, you know? And, and I can't put it in my, like, my, I have a TV stand that has like the different shelves in it you know right like it's not going to fit in any of those yeah i i think if i it well who knows but i I, that one's probably going to get slapped on my uh bedroom desk where i'm sitting right now that's where i have my xboxes you know i do for my monitor gaming because i don't do pc game you know i've got my mac hooked up to it how i record and then i have my xbox and technically i got my ps3 next to it uh vertically i may have to maneuver my ps3 i'm just spitballing if if they um what i'm hoping something we haven't discussed what i'm praying to god is that i can transfer everything off my xbox one onto the series x if i get one and down the road that's gonna be one of the great things about it though is that there should be no reason you can't is it's I'm gonna praying. play 
everything in the Xbox. I mean, that's that is the one good thing because I have two Xboxes currently, right? And the idea that I could just tra- well, if I if don't. GameStop is alive for long enough, um, I can trade in both of those towards this and lose absolutely nothing. You know, like that it is the exact same system but more powerful. Like you know, I've I'm I'm still a PlayStation person, but I have absolutely in the last at least six months, maybe more played my xbox way more than i have my ps4 yeah like moving everything all that backward compatibility yes. everything over to to this mm-hmm. but gaining the, all that extra power like that's very attractive to me well see that's an interesting point the only reason and it may not be day one a reason that i would probably wind up getting a series x down the road not as only just you know because we're hardcore gamers and we've got to play everything my my library on Xbox One, because of its backwards compatibility, because of all the digital, because of all the disc-based legacy games I have, you know, that forces me in right there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, we, we, we're going to get PS4 on, on PS5. I mean, that's not a question, right? But, like, what beyond that, you know, and... Am I going to be able to have all my, my digital PS1 and PS2 games on there, for example? Like, I'm going to get a PS5 no matter what. But if if I was just not in the games industry and I had to choose one, like, the Xbox would kind of be pretty attractive for the fact that all those older games follow me still. From that respect, yeah. I Obviously, we were dogging it from a marketing and, you know, how it's going to reach consumers. But from a pure gamer, like, from what we've invested already over the years, yes, that is a big factor. Yep. Because I mean, like, one of my favorite games of all time still is Pac-Man CE. Mm-hmm. And the 360 version is still the best version of it. And that 360 version is going to work on this, even right. though it's, it's, it's what, you know, two generations back. Like, that's very powerful to me in terms of, like, convincing me to get one of these things. Right. Well, you know, I should do, you know, I'm going to, let me do some plugs. Uh, we are approaching the two hour mark, which I can't believe because it actually doesn't feel like two hours to me. Let me do some old school plugs here and then do a quick plug. I'm not really going to do a review, but uh, I was sent a code about a month ago for Valfaris, which is a game I was looking forward to. Uh, it came out on Switch and PC back on Thursday, October 10th. It came out at 25 bucks. Then it hit PlayStation 4 on November 5th, hit Xbox One November 15th. And there was a physical release for Switch and PlayStation 4 back on November 12th, about 30 bucks. I was kindly sent a code for the Switch. I'm about, I think, 80, 90%. No, that's a lie. I'm about three quarters done with that game. I've unlocked most of the weapons, uh, done a good chunk of the levels. It is a it is a 90s inspired 2D side scroll and action metal blast shit up game i would say it reminds me you know there were comparisons made to contra yeah i would make i would say if you put in a blender if you took maybe 40 percent blackthorn and then 30 percent contra 30 percent turrican with a old school heavy metal comic aesthetic real gritty hardcore you know balls to the wall you know that kind of look and action that you you're gonna get Valfaris and there's there's an artist that's really escaping me right now and it's bothering me. Hardcore comic enthusiasts out there may be able to uh, not Incal. I'm not thinking of the Incal, but there's another one. Ah, the Meta Barons. If anyone's familiar with the Meta Barons, that visual style. I can't remember the artist's name, 
but in the portraits in this game um, and the overall aesthetic reminds me of the artist from the Meta Barons. But the uh, there is an actual artist behind Valfaris, of course, and I don't have his Twitter in front of me. But nonetheless, uh, if you're into any of those type of games that I just mentioned and you're looking for something like that, check out Valfaris. So I uh, may do a little it, bit it, more. It does look neat. Like the the problem I've had this year is there's been a lot of really great kind of like old school side scrolling action or shooter games. Um and that was one I definitely had noticed and would like to play at some day. It was like that and then like what uh Blazing Chrome and then the um the two that are like O O Odalis and Odysseus or whatever, the two like that have very similar sounding names. They both begin with O's. I think I've seen them. I ha- I'm not very familiar with those. I am very familiar with Blazing Chrome, which I've enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, you're picking the good ones. Oh, you're not thinking of uh, Oni Ken, are you? That's more of an 8-bit inspired one, a combination of Strider and Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, yeah, there's that and then the other one, yeah. Yeah, Oni. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the double pack. You might have seen it on PlayAsia. But yeah, I do have Oniken. I got that uh, on sale a few months ago on Switch. I love that one as well. Yeah, so the, for 8 for eight and 16-bit enthusiasts, this has been a great year. Oh, and then aside from that, now, this one I paid for out of my own pocket. I picked up uh, Xenocrisis, which was originally an indie Kickstarter, I believe, backed game which originally started out for the mega drive but what i do like is they released this game so there were like physical versions for mega drive and then they released it digitally simultaneously for switch and it i know it's on xbox one it's got to be on ps4 by now and i know next up they are working on a home cart version of this i'm assuming it'll have some modifications what those will be i don't know yes yeah, that it, I'm answering your question in your head mentally. Yes, it is coming to the Neo Geo. <laughs> eight. <laughs> so, um, Zero Crisis, another one to check out. That is essentially it's. It, this is exactly what it is. Here's the review. Here's the Twitter review. It's Smash TV meets Aliens. That is exactly what it is. That is exactly what you get. Uh, there's two characters you can choose from, male and female. And actually, uh, the reason I bring that up is the female one. The art uh, reminds me of like when the comic portrait of her is up on screen. Reminds me of Jill Valentine. Um, and then speaking of that kind of goodness, there's one more I wanted to mention that's escaping me right now, and I'm really going to be upset with myself. Oh, Gunlord X, which is a modified version of Gunlord. It hit Switch in the spring. I love it. That is truly a successor to, uh, in inspiration from Turrican by Neo Geo Dev Team. Um, surprisingly, this past week, it hit PlayStation 4. So if anyone's a fan of Turrican, pure Turrican, I'm not comparing it to Contra, I'm not comparing it to Blackthorn like I did Valfaris. If you are a Turrican fan, get Gunlord X. Great game. I love the soundtrack. One of my favorite soundtracks, I think by Raphael Dill. He did the soundtrack for Last Hope uh, many years ago. Uh, that is another great one to check out. So a lot of great... 16-bit-esque games out there right now. And what's funny about that is, like, there's, there's years where we get a lot of games like that, but they they feel like modern people trying to make a game that feels like an old game. Mm-hmm. But we've had some games lately, um, and I haven't tried Valfaris yet, so I can't say if it, it does, but, like, Blazing Chrome, for example, like, when I played that, it felt like I could have played this 
back in the day, right? Correct. Except for a f- a f- except for a few of the visual techniques they're using, it's like this. This legitimately feels like a classic game versus a new game trying desperately to be a classic game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not marred down by weird visual issues or the wrong art direction or like a flash type look. They're now nailing. They're really nailing how it felt and look from uh, looked from that era. So a lot of good stuff out there. I'm sure everyone out there listening already knows this since they've already found this and are listening to us by way of download. But don't forget to check out radio.morningproject.com. Haven't done this in a long time. Check out our Twitter handles. You can find me at 24BitAJE. That's the number two, the number four, B-I-T-A-J-E. You can find my one and only co-host, Molly, at Molly Penn, M-O-L-L-I-P-E-N. Don't forget the official feed of Morning Radio, which might have a Twitter handle change soon, but don't no, hold me to no. that. Did you not hear the, the big thing about that? No, fill me in. Yeah, unfortunately, um, <laughs> I'm going to sound really, really mean here, but people bitched because there's obviously... Twitter feeds from people who have died. Oh. So there was a fear of these 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 feeds of people who have died just going away. Oh. And so they complained. And so now Twitter has postponed this indefinitely. We don't know when it's happening, but <clears throat> now I can't get now I can't get the name I want because of stupid dead people. No kidding. Which obviously I I know I know, but but that was because that was so to start going into effect on the eleventh. So. That would have been 48 hours ago. When did they make this announcement? It had to be recent. Yeah, it was pretty recently. But, you know, I mean, like, to be fair, like, I, I you know, Andrew Fitch, uh, who used to work at EGM, uh, he passed away. And his Twitter feed, like, I actually did contact his family and was like, look, just so you guys know, you know, you might want to do something to make sure this doesn't go away. Um, but so I guess Twitter's now trying to see, like, what can be done for feeds of people who have died where there's nobody available to log in to make sure that account stays around. You know what they could maybe do? What if they did a different type of check mark? So, like, there's the blue check mark for, like, celebrities or authenticating who the person is. What if they come up with another symbol for, like, legacy people? Yeah, or- I think they can. But, you know, I think, and this will obviously make it tougher, but I think all they need to do is, like, go through and say, okay, are, are you an account that A, hasn't logged in in, in a certain amount of time, and then sure. B, have little to no posts? Because most, like, most of the names that people actually want now are accounts that have like one, maybe two tweets of that. Right. You know, a few of the Twitter names I, I really, really want are that kind of case where there's like almost no posts and it haven't been in, in years and years and years. So I think that they there is there's a way to know... But I think now they're kind of wanting to be careful about not accidentally deleting anybody's a feed where, like, it's somebody who has died and then erasing their entire existence from Twitter. So. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I guess uh, as it stands for now, the official feed of Morning Radio is still at M O R N R A D I O. That's Morn Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review for us. You can find us on iTunes. Just search Morning Radio. And then don't forget to check out the newly revised, revamped, state-of-the-art egmnow.com with more evergreen articles and unique content than ever before. And you can check out some new writings from Molly on there as well. And I'm not just saying this. I do love the look of the new site, and I love the unique 
content. And you can find them on Twitter as well at EGM Now. That's E G M N O W. So, uh, with that being said, I know in the near future, after two plus years, I should be getting my hands on the Dreamcast Collected Works book from Read Only Memories, not to be confused with Bitmap, uh, our friends at Bitmap. But um, the Dreamcast book has shipped to me finally last week. Should be getting that in my hands soon. I'm sure I'll put up pictures soon. I might talk about that. It's sister book, I can't believe it's been over four years, was the Mega Drive book I got from them, which was outstanding. The Dreamcast one is a reality. It got funded all the way back in like early 2017. And then I don't, do you still follow any uh, vinyl records or are you still into that scene at all? No, I've, I've been trying to be good about spending money lately. Um, right. I might get back and do it once I have a house and have a record player set up and everything, but uh, for what it's worth, the latest release of Note was uh, last week from uh, Data Discs. I think it's their 19th entry is Radiant Silver Gun. That is an exciting set that will be shipping out soon to people. And The, things, I th- the thing I love about uh, vinyl is uh, the cost and the inconvenience. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> There's some a commenter from somewhere like... A guy showing up. It, it, it is funny. It, you know, it's it's really funny because I actually just hooked up my VCR again for the first time in years oh my and years God. today, and I was using it. And there was a small part of me that's like, you know, I kind of miss this. I kind of miss no. these chunky tapes going in and out. No. But but yeah, it's 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 funny that we have this weird nostalgia for stuff that causes us to fall in love again with things that um, have been replaced by other things that are way cheaper and way easier to use. <laughs> well, you still have your Silent Hill uh, vinyl? I do. Oh, good. Yeah. Let's I still this. have my Last of Us vinyl that uh, I'm waiting to sell for a high price mm. here at some point. Is it going for a pretty penny these days? Last I looked, it was like 230 or something like that. Wow. Well, if I die soon... Which I hope I don't, but if I croak, you might want to take a trip over here and try to clean out my room before my other friends get here. So uh, it will more than pay for your plane ticket. So, yeah. Well, with that being said, you want to, uh, unless you've got anything else to add, I don't want to cut you off. We are at two hours and five minutes here on Generic Video Game Podcast, episode 38. I have a really quick little thing, just a yeah. weird thing, because this, this to me is such a weird announcement. You know, so we've seen a lot of these uh, limited, I I don't want to say limited run games, because that's actually a company's name, I don't want to just make it generic, but these these limited printing of physical copies of video games Mm -hmm. from companies like Limited Run Games and Special Reserve Games and Dispatch Games and uh, Hard Copy Games and all this kind of stuff. Uh, But this is one of the weirdest I've ever seen. And I'm actually really excited for it. So there's um, a series of games, and I don't know the the full name for like all of them, but you know Japan loves their trains, and they love their train simulator games. And there's uh, numerous games where they will record real life footage of of train lines, and then put that in a game. And so you have a game about controlling, you're basically driving the train down these these real life train lines and you're seeing real life footage and everything of this um there's been a few of those games come to the west in english i think some of them incredibly costly because they're incredibly costly in japan 
and then you're adding on that this is a very, very niche game being localized. But Dispatch Games, which is at readytodispatch.com, they're that company who's working with the Japanese company City Connection, which uh, you may have heard from them because they're doing a lot of the Jalico stuff. I think they basically bought the rights of Jalico's library, maybe? Yeah, from, like, way back in the day, right? Like, NES yeah. era? Yeah. yeah, so they have, like, the rights to, like, they, I believe, I believe the situation is they, they're a new company that bought the rights to all of Jalico's stuff. So they, they do work with them, because, like, there's, like, a, for example, a Ninja Jaja Marukun uh, collection that they recently did a special printing of physically in America. So they just announced and put up for pre-order... Uh, Japanese rail sim Journey to Kyoto for the Nintendo Switch. What? So this this is one of these weirdo real-life footage Japanese train-driving games that's now getting a physical Switch release in the States. Which is really, really, really weird. Uh, but awesome to me because I love these just totally obscure Japanese games getting physical printing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order my own copy. You're going to get a copy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, I feel like me and five other people will order one, and then there'll be, like, super limited rare copies because nobody else will have them, but... Will you put up pics when you uh, get... When does it ship and all that stuff? Yeah, but so if, if you're into either Japanese rail sims or obscure Nintendo Switch physical printings uh check out ready to dispatch.com wow that is uh that is a new one hmm well that's kind of cool i'll check it out well with that uh want to thank everyone for hanging in there once again checking out the generic video game podcast and uh hit us up on twitter i love interacting with the fans hearing what's on your mind and do you think uh we might try and get another episode in before Santa Claus comes down our chimney? No, I, I would say no, but definitely right after the start of the new year, we can do another episode. Okay. All right. We'll try and put some stuff together. We'll see if we're going to be better about things. Uh, if there's no more life crises, uh, if Molly's not moving again, if I'm not switching jobs, if, you know, if I'm not going crazy, uh, we should hopefully be back. You know, maybe realistically, we've been saying this for a long time, you know, try to maybe get one a month. Two, if we're lucky, one a month would be good. We've been averaging one every three months. And I say this to Molly every now and then. uh, Can you believe it has been about five and a half years since you and I started recording? (laughs) I cannot believe that. I think we started June of 2014, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, with that, want to wish everyone a happy holidays. I hope you get some good gaming time in and get uh, a lot of good food and sweets and desserts and coffee and good time with your friends and family. And with that, on behalf of Molly, I'm Anthony, and we will catch you next time.